Welcome to the latest video blog in our series, Ask a Silicon Valley Lawyer. I'm Louis Lowe, the founder of L2 Council, and I'm here with my good friend, Natasha Allen. Hi, Louis. Natasha Allen, founding partner of Allen & Hatcher. Uh, we're here today to talk about how has negotiating an M&A transaction changed during the pandemic. Uh, Louis, I have a couple questions for you. So what are the main things that have changed in terms of just the initial stages of an M&A transaction? Well, uh, it, we're, we're, uh, we're really going through a, a series of, of evolutions in how that happens. And at the outset of the pandemic, uh, you had a lot of transactions in process, and the issue was how can you take those transactions forward? Um, we're now, we now then hit a phase where uh, some transactions had actually been signed, and could they go to closing? Interesting. And now we've gotten to a new phase where whatever transactions that were in the pipeline at the outset of the pandemic, either in discussions or had been signed and waiting to close, have all kind of been worked through for the most part. And we're now at a time where deal makers, whether they're corporate development professionals at large companies mm -hmm. or uh, investors at private equity firms, so the traditional strategic and financial buyers, they're now they're still responsible for justifying their, their value and delivering value to their stakeholders, whether it's uh, to their public shareholders, if you're the corporate development function of, of, of a large company, or to your investors, your institutional uh, pension funds, if you're a general partner of a private equity firm. So those people have to get back to work. They have to to rebuild their pipeline. Um, so I was speaking to uh, an M&A professional at one of the Valley's uh, most preeminent big tech companies, mm -hmm. and she explained to me that their company has a roadmap of, of potential targets that they identify years in advance. Oh, interesting. And that they're still working through those, they know those people, um, um, but you, you get you get further down the food chain mm -hmm. and you run into the situation of people are looking for targets that they haven't otherwise met. Exactly. And so how do they do that? And if you're a private equity firm, um, you, you probably get a lot of inbound deal flow from investment bankers who are shopping companies. Um, but you know the process of meeting new companies that you would normally do at an investor conference, an industry conference, um, just by proactively reaching out to people after a financing, uh, getting to know uh, uh, people in a particular space by going on walks with them, having coffee with them, visiting them in their office. You just can't do that, can't do that. today. So I have a question for you. So in terms of buyers, Obviously, is it a buyer's market or is it a seller's market? And what are some things that sellers should be looking out for given that we are in a pandemic and perhaps some companies are going out of business or running out of operations or don't have enough resources? So. Uh, great question, great question. So in the first half of 2020, we saw uh, uh, numbers of deals and valuations fall off a cliff. Um, in, since the second half of, of 2020 began, we've seen a slight uptick, both in number of deals and values, and so things are looking up, yeah. I would say. But to your question, is it a buyer's market or a seller's market? Clearly, it's a buyer's market. Buyer's market. The pendulum has shifted. Yeah. What was your next question? Just for what, what are some things that sellers should be looking out for? because it is a buyer's market. Well, I think that uh, it's, it's, Im 
it's imperative for every technology, life science, uh, startup CEO to know who is the universe of their potential buyers, whether it's strategics or financial buyers. Mm -hmm. And just like an M&A professional needs to know them, they need to know who their potential buyers are and, and try and find ways to get on their radar screens and make relationships, especially when they're not for sale. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and, and so um, how do you do that? Yeah. And, and I think there's a lot of these industry conferences that are now happening online with breakout rooms. And so we're all having to be really creative in how it is that we reach out to people. And, and oftentimes it's just going to be a cold email or a cold phone call. Yeah. Um, hey, I'd, uh, I'm so-and-so and, you know, I know who you are and I've, I've I've, you know, I'd like to get to know you. Are you free for a video call? Um, always the, the best uh, introduction you can get is from another person that has invested in that company, yeah. bought that company, or sold that company. And, and so uh, obviously a warm intro uh, is the right. best way to go. Yeah. Uh, in terms of uh, financing, financial backing of buyers, is there anything that a seller can do to ensure that, you know, you're being approached by these buyers, do they actually have the resources to acquire? Uh, and if they are going to acquire you, do they have the backing of their board? Well, you know, I, I think that's a great question, and, and, and um, it's really imperative for entrepreneurs to have great advisors, mm -hmm. uh, great board members, mm -hmm. uh, um, great lawyers, yeah. uh, who can really tell them as much as they can about the ecosystem uh, of buyers. So your advisors um, and, and your counsel should have access to a commercial database that will tell you how much dry powder is left mm -hmm. in a private equity firm that you're talking to. Yeah. Um, your lawyer should, if it's if it's a large uh, public company, should be able to pull their their last 10k or 10q filing and look at how much cash is available, what's what's left under their credit line, uh, whether they've tripped their credit lines, whether it's still available, and and how much powder is there. Now, if your buyer is a private entity, Entity, you know, it, sometimes that uh, that information is less uh, available exactly. publicly, and therefore yeah. you've got to have advisors that are really plugged in and know what they're doing, um, and, and who have relationships with them, who can tap those relationships and find that information out. Exactly. Uh, one other question. So, in terms of the buyer side, let's so let's flip to the buyer. What should they change in terms of their diligence procedures, given that we are in a pandemic? Oh, that's um, that's a great question. Um, there are a whole universe of new questions that buyers need to ask before they go and close on an acquisition mm -hmm. in the post-pandemic era that we're in. Yeah. Um, first of all, um, what is the operating condition of the business that they're looking to acquire? Um, is it solid? Um, yeah. Have their customers been terminating? Uh, are, are there their revenues concentrated in a specific customer is that customer solvent, mm -hmm. right? So, so there's a whole layer of, of diligence that you would you would not otherwise do that you need to do on a target's financials. Yeah, um, you you need to also do a, a deeper level of diligence into the into the target's customer agreements to understand how they can be terminated, whether they're subject to termination, whether whether the the counterparties would have an, an, a reason or a need to terminate them. Mm -hmm. um, you need to look at their real estate leases. And is there is there a way out of them if they don't need them anymore? Yeah. Um, or are they on the hook for uh, a, a, a giant portfolio of real estate leases uh, for many years to come? We won't name mm, uh, the yeah. name of a large uh, uh, real estate player that's got leases all over the world yeah. um, that were negotiated at the height of the market and they're empty. 
Yeah. Uh, and, and, and so that's that's challenging. Um, you've also got to look at the workforce and um, what what workforce is required to be where for this company to operate. That's a good point. So if you've got a, a, a manufacturing facility, um, is it is it able to be open in the place where it is according to the local regulations? Mm -hmm. um, are they doing what they need to be doing to keep their workforce safe and healthy? Yeah. Um, have they failed to do what they needed to do? Has there been an outbreak yeah. such that you know they should expect some sort of a, uh, a liability. We haven't seen this yet, but we know a wave of employment litigation is coming yes. about yeah. uh, employers and whether they did or didn't do everything they could or couldn't have done to keep their workforce safe. Mm -hmm. um, it's been such a short time since the pandemic started and the consequences are not yet fully known that I think that uh, plaintiff's firms are kind of collecting cases and yeah. watching and waiting and I would expect you know at the beginning of next year we'll have a whole wave of these um, litigations and and you know are those insurable um, mm -hmm. are, are they are they solvable so yeah. uh, that's just the tip of the iceberg of, of, of the, the questions yeah. uh, new due diligence questions that we could be asking uh, in the pandemic what do you think should stay on at post pandemic in terms of the m a process um, that's a great question so what I think you're asking are or what are some of the evolutions that have been brought to the M&A process since the beginning of the pandemic that should remain post-pandemic? Correct. Got it, okay. So um, one of the things that we've really struggled and I think made a lot of progress in doing an M&A um, since the beginning of the pandemic is really proactively building trust with people because you can't have a face-to-face -face meeting yeah. uh, in most places and, and it's socially unacceptable even if it is somehow permissible. Mm -hmm. uh, you can't get big groups together. So you're doing these video calls um, and you're doing a lot of them. Yeah. And um, because you don't have that face-to-face -face meeting where, or a meal together where you can build trust, you're having to do that in these large Zoom call settings or in private calls or in emails. And so you've really, people have really been uh, doing a great job, I think, mm -hmm. in, in doing smart things. So what are they doing? They're being much more open mm -hmm. and emotive. They're being much more sensitive to the personal situations of the people that they're working with. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe they see their families around. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Maybe they can see what, what ailments that they and their family members might be suffering from. So Louis, tell me, what are some of the positive ways that M&A transactions or the processes of M&A transactions have changed for the better? I think that is a great question. And I've seen uh, something really amazing happen in the way people interact with each other in M&A mm -hmm. processes now. A lot of the times people uh, now are conducting a transaction entirely virtually. Exactly. And, um, in, in, and right now, the, uh, they're happening in transactions where counterparties have never actually met. And so the process of building trust uh, is people are being a lot more thoughtful and careful about it. Mm -hmm. um, I think they're being a lot more open and honest. Yeah. I think there's a lot less gamesmanship in terms of um, you know, the back and forth because the risk of error is that somebody just turns off the phone or stops answering an email. There's no more face to face. So yeah. you really have got fewer chances uh, to do right and the risk of screwing up is bigger. So I, I'm seeing people um, mark small victories mm -hmm. um, uh, more proactively, which I think builds trust. Yeah. Um, I think people are giving credit to other members of their deal team uh, to show, you know, uh, that that there's consensus and that there's team building. So I think that there's a lot of really positive developments in the way that humans are interacting with <laughs> other humans yeah. because they have to use technology and they don't have the luxury of face-to-face -face meetings. Great.
Thank you, Louis. That was a very informative discussion. If you have any questions, please don't hesitate to reach out to my good friend, Natasha. Natasha, how do we reach you? You can get me at Natasha at alanhatcher.com. And I'm always reachable through my website at l2council.com. <laughs>